turn in Holy Scripture to Genesis chapter 10 and 11. We're doing a series in Genesis. I just finished it last week in Genesis 11 in Edgerton. I plan to preach that last sermon of the series today, Genesis 11, 1 through 9 is the text. But to give you an understanding of the context, I'm going to read Genesis 10, 1 through 14 as well. So Genesis 10, 1 through 14, and then Genesis 11, 1 through 9. The text is Genesis 11, 1 through 9. I won't reread that due to the length, so pay special attention in Genesis 11. This is after the flood. Genesis 10 deal is the chapter right after the flood and God's commands to Noah and his sons. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, and Magog, and Madai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshach, and Tiraz. And the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, and Riphath, and Togarmah. And the sons of Javan, Elisha, and Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families, in their nations. And the sons of Ham, Cush and Mizraim, and Phut and Canaan, and the sons of Cush, Seba and Havilah, and Sabta and Raema and Sabtika, and the sons of Raema, Sheba and Dedan. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Out of that land went forth Asher and builded Nineveh and the city Rehoboth and Kala and reason between Nineveh and Kala. The same as a great city. And Mizraim begat Ludim and Anamim and Lehabim and Nephutim and Pathrusim and Kasluhim, out of whom came Philistim and Tephor Kaphtarim. We'll stop there in chapter 10 and go to chapter 11. This is the text, chapter 11, 1 through 9. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. 
Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So far do we read God's word. Genesis chapter 10 tells us about Nimrod and his kingdom. Nimrod was the grandson of Ham who rose to power soon after the flood. He was a mighty hunter that took down large animals and thus was a great protector of the men of his day. He became popular and Nimrod had a vision, had a dream of a great earthly kingdom all under him and his rule. And Genesis 10 verse 10 tells us that he set up a kingdom like that at Babel between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in the land of Shinar. That's present day Iraq. That kingdom expanded into other nearby places in the land of Shinar, according to Genesis 10, verses 10 and 11. It was a great kingdom whose center was Babel. Genesis 11 now, Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9, we hear about the tower that Nimrod and the people of his kingdom built. We hear about God's confusion of their language and the significance of that event. Genesis chapter 11 is talking about Nimrod and his kingdom. Verse 2 of chapter 11 says, It came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. In light of Genesis chapter 10 verse 10, which says that this kingdom Nimrod established was in the land of Shinar between the Tigris and Euphrates river, rivers. In light of Genesis 10, verse 10, we believe that 11, chapter 11, verse 2, is talking about Nimrod and the people with him. So Nimrod and his kingdom are the ones who build this tower talked about in chapter 11. And what happened at that tower it explains so much of what we see today in the world. It shows to us why there are so many different countries and why people speak so many different languages. So it's significant in that sense. It helps us understand the world today, but it's significant. It's even more significant because this chapter, chapter 11, and the event shows that Christ kingdom has the victory. Christ's kingdom has the victory. It had the victory over Nimrod and his people, and Christ's kingdom has the victory today too. There are so many nations, many powerful nations, but all of them are really nothing compared to Christ's kingdom and will crumble, will fall, but Christ's kingdom lasts forever. Let's hear of that and be comforted today and be led to praise our great God. Let's consider the text under the theme, the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel. First, the building of the tower. 
And second, the confusion of the language. First, the building of the tower. Genesis 11, verses 1 through 4, tells us about the unification of Nimrod's kingdom. It tells us about the great tower they built and their defiance of God. Consider the unification. Verse 1 speaks of how this kingdom all was just, they just had one language. Verse 1, the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. That literally says that they were of one lip and one word. There's a states that two times really states twice that they were of one language in a sense and it does that partly to impress upon us how amazing that is we live in a day where there are 7100 different languages spoken kids maybe you have heard people talk in a different language maybe spanish and you heard them speak and you didn't understand a thing of what they said well at the time of Nimrod here in Genesis 11, time of his kingdom, there weren't any other languages. There's just one. And everybody spoke it. Everybody understood each other all the time. Verse 2 adds to our understanding of their oneness, their unity. When it says that it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. So this group that was united in language, they traveled together. And that takes unity. You leave at the same time. You take breaks at the same time. You travel really to the same place and you, you stop at the same place. And that's what this group did. They, being united, they stopped together in a fertile plain called the land of Shinar between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. They were united. And Nimrod... Nimrod was the strong leader who brought this unification. He was a mighty man in the earth, according to Genesis 10, chapter 10, verse 8. A mighty one in the earth. And he was a mighty one in the earth means that he was mighty physically, a great warrior. But the idea is also that he was a mighty one mentally, a great thinker, a great leader, an organizer. And he was a courageous protector of the people who took down large wild animals. The people were united in wanting him for their leader. He was so powerful, such a great thinker, such a great leader, a protector. This is the one they wanted, and they were united in wanting him. It was a one-world dictatorship under Nimrod. Now Nimrod and his people, they decided to build a tower according to verses 3 and 4. They began making bricks and they used slime or pitch for mortar so that those bricks would stay together and they could build things. And they built their city that way using those bricks. They made buildings and they made homes and in verses, verse 4 we read, they began making a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. That literally means that they were making a tower whose top would go far into the skies 
They began building that tower and they kept building it higher and higher. It was a great tower. But understand that Nimrod built his kingdom and built this tower in disobedience to God. Clear disobedience to him. To understand that, we have to go back to Genesis 9. In Genesis 9, verses 1 and 2, God was speaking to Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And God said to Noah and his sons, we read, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That they were to replenish the earth means that they were to fill the earth. They were to spread out over it after the flood and fill it up. Nimrod and his people knew that this was God's command. They weren't that far removed from Noah and his sons. Noah was a, or excuse me, Nimrod was a grandson of Ham and a great-grandson of Noah. Noah was still alive when Nimrod was a young man. Nimrod and the people knew this command to fill the earth from God. But instead of doing that, notice they moved to the plain of Shinar together to live in this kingdom, in this city, together. And they built this tower there at the city. They did all that in rebellion against God and his commandment to replenish the earth. People saw them doing that and most just followed the crowd in rebellion. Understand that even though this was rebellion, Nimrod and his people very likely spinned this and what was happening as, dis, as really obedience to God and doing a good thing. That's how they spun it. They may have said that Nimrod, for instance, was a servant of God as a hunter. God had told Noah and his sons in Genesis chapter 9, verse 2, that the fear of man would be upon the beasts of the earth. So these people who knew about God, this wasn't that long after the flood, these people they knew about God, they may have very well said that Nimrod was just acting as a servant of God and doing all this hunting, and a great servant of God, because... He was the one that was causing the animals to fear man. He was doing what God wanted in making these animals fear man by hunting them and chasing them down and killing them. Some may have said, too, that their kingdom furthered the cause of God's kingdom because they were all helping each other. They were going to have a city where everyone helped fellow man. So this was really a good thing. And so if you opposed what they were doing in uniting, you were branded as one who stood against God, really, and against your fellow man. You were somebody that didn't care about your neighbor. But it's certain that God's people, his covenant people, opposed this uniting in this kingdom under Nimrod. They stood against the crowd. They stood against the crowd because they knew 
how good their God was to them by God's power. They knew God's promise of the Savior, the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ. They were so thankful for that. They were going to obey God. They were going to speak up even against what Nimrod and his kingdom were doing. Now, because of that, certainly the kingdom viewed them as backwards. The kingdom of Nimrod, that is, viewed those covenant people as backwards and foolish haters of men. We believers, God's covenant people today, we must also stand against disobedience to God. Be like the children of Shem in the days of Nimrod. The world around us and even some in the broader church world today, they view certain wrong activities as good. And they will even act like you're foolish for disagreeing with them and really against mankind. It can be tempting for us to go along with what they say. For instance, today the world will praise those who do research for our planet, for mankind, medical research, even though that person went somewhere where they're never gathering with God's people on the Lord's Day. Maybe there's not even a, a church there or a true church there and they're not worshiping. The world will praise that person up and down for what they're doing. Serving mankind. Church world today, the church world praises the athlete who on Sundays throws many touchdown passes but is forsaking the assembly of the saints on the Lord's Day in contradiction of Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. The world today might praise the woman as many children at home but is doing all this research and all this medical work. You know, say she's doing such great work, but she's n never, really never at home, being a keeper at home, as Titus 2 verse 5 calls her to be, at least gives her her first calling there. The world says that it would be wrong for these kind of people that we talked about not to be using their talents to serve mankind and help mankind. And it's a temptation for us to start thinking that way and think, oh, they're certainly right about that. And, and a temptation especially not to say anything against those activities and not to be a witness of what God's word says our callings are. But maybe there are other areas of life too in which we are really acting just like Nimrod and his kingdom clear commands of God and we are walking in disobedience against those commands. And that is why we must examine ourselves this morning and not make excuses and not think of how well it's different for me in my situation. No, think about my life in light of the word of God. And if we are walking in disobedience in any way, sorrow over those sins today, Pray for forgiveness in the blood of Jesus and turn to the Lord. Turn and walk in His ways. Why did the people of Nimrod's kingdom, though, build this tower? What was, the, what was their purpose? 
Well, two ideas can be ruled out. The first one is that they built this tower to have safety if there was another flood. They could all jam into that tower and go up in it and you'd be higher than the waters and be safe. Well, Scripture never even gives that as a, never even suggests that as a reason they built the tower. And remember again, they didn't, many of them were alive still when Noah was alive, so they knew from Noah and his sons God's promise not to send another flood. They knew about that. Also, we can rule out the idea that the purpose of the tower was literally to ascend into heaven and fight God. That can sometimes be the idea, we, at least that I had when I was a kid. They were trying to go way up in this tower and then they were going to take down God. That's not what they were doing either. Men don't try to get physically into heaven to fight against God. Men battle him spiritually, but they don't have that idea of going up there to fight somehow against God in heaven. Verse 4 gives two reasons for their building this tower. States, they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So, according to verse 4, they built the tower, first of all, because they wanted to make a name for themselves and for their city. To make a name means that you achieve fame. Your name is used by lots of people. You're recognized as having done something good, something great, and you're remembered. Well, Nimrod and the people of his kingdom, they built a, a king. They built this kingdom. They built this tower because they wanted to be famous. They wanted to have a name during their life. And for years after, they wanted an attractive city that people inside the city were talking about its greatness. People outside the city, they talked about how great that city is, how great that kingdom is. They wanted then to have a kingdom that was strong, had strong walls for protection, had all the smartest people in it so they were making great inventions had the, the smartest people in it that could bring conveniences to that city that you couldn't get out in rural areas. And they wanted all those talented people there to bring entertainment to the people of that city that you couldn't get anywhere else. That was so amazing and everybody wanted to be there and see it. They wanted a city like that and they wanted a tower because this great tower would be a symbol of the power and ingenuity of the people, a symbol. And it would cause others who were outside the city, maybe still, it would cause these others to say, that is the place to be. The people there can achieve anything that they put their mind to. That is where I want to be. They built this city and tower because they wanted to make a name for themselves, verse 4, and as the end of verse 4 says, because they didn't want to be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. That's what was happening before Nimrod brought this unification of the people. Families with the, under the leadership of their father, the leader in the family, were spreading out 
to different places according to the command of God in Genesis 9 verse 1. Nimrod and his people, though, built a city and a great tower because they didn't want that to happen anymore. They wanted everybody to be gathered in the city. Then that city would be great. And they would be viewed as great. They wanted a tower because then everybody that was outside the city would say, that's a great city and that's where I want to be. With their tower, Nimrod and the people would be demonstrating, too, that those who disobey God's ordinances, they can still be great. We don't really need God. We can have a wonderful life without Him. That's what they were saying with the tower. Come here. We don't want to be scattered. We can be so great if you all just join in here. Not being scattered would help them be great and just to grow in greatness, they thought. They must have thought that. Again, think if you get all the talented people, all the smartest people, everybody in one place, and learn from each other, help each other develop things, and man becomes greater and greater and the city grows in greatness. That's their vision. Now that purpose in building the tower, that is to make a name for themselves and for their city, that's a wicked purpose. That's a wicked purpose. These people were supposed to be giving their whole lives to the glory of God as His servants. Man's position from the beginning is that he is a servant of God. And these people knew that. The flood had not happened long ago. God showed He's way above. God had given commands to Noah and his children showing that he's to be obeyed. That's man's duty to glorify the Lord in this life. But these men were living for their own glory, living really for their own praise and recognition. They were saying, we don't need God or his ways. Now, if this kingdom that was founded in wickedness was allowed to continue, it would have brought terrible persecution on the seed of the woman. It would have brought terrible persecution on God's covenant people, in particular, the children of Shem. That's whom God was going to be working in, especially Shem and his children going forward. Now, because of the covenant people's disapproval of what was happening in Nimrod's kingdom, they certainly became the objects of persecution. The world does not tolerate opposition. You can see that happening today too. God's covenant people were viewed as backwards. People who didn't love their neighbors. They were the problems in society. They were persecuted. Now, Think about how since Nimrod's time, many leaders have established many different kingdoms. And think of how the goal of those leaders and those kingdoms was really, you boil it down, the glory of themselves. 
They wanted to make a name for themselves. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, Cyrus and the Persians, Alexander the Great and the Greeks, Cyrus, Caesar, and the Romans, Napoleon, the French, Hitler, and the Germans. What was their goal? To make a name for themselves. What about many kingdoms today and their leaders? What's the goal? Well, we can tell the goal is so often the glory of man. That's true for leaders. That's true for the people of the kingdom today, people of the kingdoms of the world. Today, men do research and they make inventions that, to, to do what? Grow in, in finances, become rich, and to become well-known, have their name known. They give money to hospitals and attach their name to it. So everybody says their name for years and years to come. They want themselves. They want their nation. They want their city. They want their hospital to be known as great, recognized as such. Not for the glory of God, for their own glory. The men have built towers for the glory of their name, the glory of their country, to be recognized. Towers today stand for anything that men build that symbolizes power, power and the, the greatness of man. So the ancient Greeks and the Romans, they built great temples and stadiums like the Colosseum. The world trade towers were built really as a symbol, and the Sears Tower in Chicago, all those things are they're, they're symbols. They're, they're built to impress people. They're more than that, but that's what they are too, symbols built to impress those who see them. And today, fast-developing countries, they'll, they'll make sure pictures are on the internet of what their city or country looked like in 1990 and now what it looks like in 2023 and they'll have a, a, a city there with lights and big buildings now and they'll see, see what we are now, see what we've become, recognize us. That's really the message. Countries and people want, countries and the people of them want people to see what they're doing. And to recognize them as great in that place as the place to be. We are the greatest. The greatest in the world. Here man can achieve anything. Look at our buildings. Look at other things we do. Sending man off even into space. Look at what we've accomplished. This is who we are. We are great. It's the goal of so many in those things. There are kingdoms and towers today then, and we also see this. We see many kingdoms and leaders uniting today as the people in Nimrod's kingdom united. That's happening more and more, and the uniting is all really taking place really for the glory of man. Seeking the glory of mankind, countries like the United States, they've, they've come together with other countries to form the United Nations, for instance. And delegates to the United Nations, they all gather together and they focus on ending things like poverty and, and trying to get clean water everywhere and trying to really end global, try to end climate change and, and 
do all kinds of things like that. Now their goal in doing so, again, is for many of them, not the glory of God, glory of man. Wanting man to live here a long time and be great. Their children to be great, recognized. And these leaders want to be known as great because they're the ones who brought this peace that we can all enjoy. Leaders and kingdoms that seek their own glory or simply the glory of mankind are acting wickedly. There's so much glorying today in the presence of the Lord, and that's glorying in themselves in the presence of the Lord, of something that 1 Corinthians 1 verse 29 forbids. And kingdoms like that, that are seeking the glory really of self, people seeking the glory of, of self, kingdoms like that eventually bring persecution to God's people. And that's why the great kingdoms of the earth and history eventually have brought persecution to God's people. God's covenant people oppose the sinful agendas of the kingdoms of the world. They oppose the policies that the sinful leaders bring in those sinful kingdoms. God's people, too, don't give their time and their, their money to the big universities or to other things that the world says, that's what you get, need to give your money to. Instead, they give their time and their money and their energy to the advancement of God's kingdom. They give their time, money, and energy to the spread of the gospel desiring that more and more are brought to glorify God. And the world sees that and says it's foolish. Kingdoms of the earth see that and say that's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. All that does is hurt people. Religion is a disaster. Look at what Christians do and what they say about people. Giving all your money and time to that is it's wrong. Throughout history, big man-centered kingdoms have spoken badly of Christians and persecuted them. They even throw them to the lions in the past. Colosseum. Now back to Nimrod and his kingdom. Nimrod and his people made a mighty kingdom, but what happened to that kingdom? What happened to that tower? Well, what happened is God confused the languages so that God's kingdom has the victory. God confused the language of the people that were building that tower so that they scattered. That's verses 5 through 7 of chapter 11. And there's an interesting phrase in chapter, five, or chapter 11, verse 5. It says there that the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. So think of that, even though Nimrod and his people thought they were so powerful, they didn't really need God, they can accomplish anything they put their mind to. Verse 5, in light of that attitude of Nimrod, says the Lord came down. It says that purposely to show us the Lord's above. Jehovah's above Nimrod and his kingdom. He's more powerful. He's controlling all of this. The triune God saw what they were doing and in verse 7. We read God saying within himself, the triune God, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Confound means confuse or mix. People, as they built that tower, they were all speaking one language and things were working. They would, one 
man would ask for a brick, and the other guy would understand him right away, pass him a brick. Somebody would need a certain tool, they pass him the tool right away. Everybody understood each other. It was all working. But then all of a sudden, according to chapter 11, God mixed their speech. So they didn't understand each other anymore. So that when someone did ask for a brick, the other person didn't know what they said. And they look at their neighbor. They'd all be going like this. What are they, what are they talking about? And then nobody understood each other. Verse 9 tells us that the name of the city became known as Babel because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. Babel means confusion. As the same idea as the English word babble. So these men were now babbling as they were trying to build the Tower of Babel. That certainly affected their building. Certainly led to frustration. Kids, you can understand that. You try to do a group project at school. You think about trying to do that group project with three other people that all speak a different language. Try to delegate the work and figure out what your partners are going to do, but you don't understand what they're saying. Think about how hard that would be to do the group project. You get frustrated. All these men at Babel, they couldn't understand what the others were trying to do. So they got frustrated in their building, and they stopped showing up to build. They began to leave the city. Began to leave the city with their families and go other places, spread on, spreading out. Verse 8 says, So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. By confusing their language, God forced them to obey that command he had given in Genesis 9, verse 1. The Lord is sovereign. Some moved north to colder climates. Some stayed in warmer climates. Certain families developed different shades of skin over time so that today we see different colors of people in different places in the world all over the world, all over the globe. Men today are still spread out across the earth and still divided by language barriers all these years later because of what happened at Babel. Now the world is, we see that the world is becoming more and more united. More and more are speaking the English language today. Travel by plane and technology has united nations more than ever before. And more and more nations live in peace with one another. And the nations that don't or rock the boat in any way are viewed as bad. Yet the world is still not united in one kingdom. Still not united and all attempts to do so have failed. There are 195 different countries with different governments. The language barrier is still there. We've all experienced it. God confused the language at Babel. He was sovereign here and he confused the language and he scattered the nations for important reasons. Really for, if you boil it down, really for the glory of his name and the salvation of his church in Christ. Let's see that. First, 
God did this at Babel so that he might gather his church from every nation, tribe, and tongue to his glory. Psalm 86 verse 9 shows that it's the purpose of God to gather a church from all nations and every language. Psalm 86 verse 9 says, All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. A church that comes from all nations gives great glory to God. That makes sense. Think, think about it. When people that speak different languages and come from different cultures where they have different jobs and have different, so many different interests, when they all come and believe in one God and serve one God, that gives God great glory. He's so, it shows he's so powerful that he can bring people that are so different to believe in one God, one Savior, and serve one Lord. That bringing of his people together from every nation shows his power, brings glory to his name. And that's why he scattered the people at Babel. That's his purpose. Show his glory in gathering his church from all nations. And thanks be to God that he has gathered us into that church, that one church of Jesus Christ, that he's brought us who live so far away from Jerusalem, brought us into the church, and that he's even used us in gathering his church from all nations, that you've had the privilege of being the calling church for the missionaries from many years now. It's a wonderful thing. Praise God. And second, second reason God confused the language of the men at Babel and scattered them is was really to preserve Christ's line for the salvation of his people in Christ. He did it to preserve Christ's line and to save his church in Christ. He scattered the people at Babel to keep alive the seed of the woman, to keep alive Christ's line. Th think about verse 5 once, or verse 6. It says, The Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Nothing will be restrained from them. If God did not stop what was happening at Babel, they would have destroyed the covenant line of Shem, the line from whom Christ was to come. They would not have been restrained or kept from killing all those who opposed them. Shem's line from whom Christ would come would be destroyed from the earth. So think of how important then Jehovah's confusion of the language was there. And it was important for the time then at Babel, but also throughout all of Old Testament history, it was so important that people were spread out and speaking different languages and a part of different nations. Because the people spoke different languages, they went to, to live in, in 
different places. They developed different forms of government, had different ideas, different ideologies, and thus they clashed with each other throughout Old Testament history. And that diversity and that fighting kept all those nations in the Old Testament from focusing their hatred on God's church and the line of Christ, the covenant line, and destroying them. For instance, Babylon threatened Assyria, which kept Assyria from destroying the people of Judah, from whom Christ would come. And Babylon was threatened by by Persia, and Persia was threatened by Greece, and Greece was threatened by Rome. And and so it went throughout Old Testament history. God, so wise, controlled all things at Babel for the protection of the line of Christ. He did that as the covenant God, the covenant God who's faithful to his promises, who never fails to bring them to pass. Notice the name used in verses 5 and 6, where it talks about God coming down, confusing the languages. Notice the name there is Lord in all capital letters. That name Lord is Jehovah in the original language, and Jehovah means I am. The idea of the term is it shows God doesn't change. He's not the I was or the I will be. He is the I am. He does not change or go back on his promises. Well, this God who promised to send the seed of the woman from Shem, the seed of the woman, the Christ, he would keep that promise. It would not fail. Jehovah scattered the men at Babel then for our salvation too. 4,000 years ago, God, the covenant God, was faithful to his people. He had us in mind. He made sure those men were scattered. The line of Christ would be preserved and Christ would come and die for us to save us from all of our sins so that we might even dwell as his covenant friends today and hear him speak to us in love. In Genesis 11, verse 7, we read of the triune God speaking within himself. He says, go to, let us go down and there confound their language. God has speech within himself and he brings us really into that speech. He speaks in love to us. He made sure Christ came so that we might have the right to dwell with him and live with him now. He used the scattering of the nations and uses the scattering of the nations still today for the gathering of his church too. This diversity among people today, it keeps men today still from focusing on the church And destroying the church. And that's allowed for the gospel to go forward to so many places. Gathering all of God's elect. Including us. And including our children. So they get to hear the gospel today. And be gathered into God's church as well. And enjoy his covenant friendship and fellowship. So that's our God. That's that's his, his great wisdom. That's his goodness to us. Praise him. This confusion of the languages that God brought at the tower, it points us also to the final victory of Christ's kingdom over Antichrist's kingdom. 
Nimrod's kingdom was a type or picture of Antichrist's kingdom. You have your look at your Bibles in Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13. We'll look at a few verses from there to see this. And we'll look at them and then look at another one in a little while and then another one. So keep your Bible open to Revelation 13. What Revelation 13 shows is that the spirit of Nimrod, the spirit he had, this this idea of a worldwide kingdom under him, with the glory of man, that spirit of Nimrod will culminate in the anti-Christian kingdom at the end. As Nimrod did amazing things for society, Antichrist will do amazing things for society. Revelation 13, verse 13. It's talking about the beast. It says, he doeth great wonders. And it lists some of these wonders, but verse 14 talks about miracles. He had the power to do. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about many wonders as well that he will do. He'll bring medical breakthroughs. He'll bring peace to warring nations. That will be an amazing thing to see. Peace to warring nations. He'll solve economic problems in order to unite people. He'll lead men to build amazing things and really make things that are symbols of man's great power and skill. And he will say, and it will appear, that in this kingdom anything is possible that man puts his mind to. Revelation 13, verse 7 says, It was given him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. He'll make a name for himself, such a name for himself that people will worship him Revelation 13, verse 8 says, All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. And verse 15 says the same. So he and the men of that society will be doing things for the glory of man and for the glory of that Antichrist. Anybody who opposes will be killed. He'll make such a name for himself. His kingdom will be the first to succeed in overcoming the wound that God made at Babel. Revelation 13, verse 3 now. It says about the beast, the Antichrist. It says, I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. That verse is pointing back to Babel. At Babel, the beast was stricken with a great wound. All the nations were scattered. The idea of Revelation 13 is that at the end, that wound will be healed under Antichrist. That all the nations will be brought together again under his leadership. All will be united under him. And what a kingdom that will be that it makes us almost to tremble this morning as we think about all the nations united under one great leader and what power they will have and how they will oppose the church. They will oppose maybe our children, our grandchildren. But we ought not to tremble. We really ought not to be scared at all because what happened 
to Nimrod's kingdom, we just read about in Genesis 11, will happen to Antichrist too. Jehovah was above Babel. Remember, he came down. See the tower? Jehovah was above Babel, and he will be above the anti-Christian kingdom too. He will be viewing it all and have his covenant people in Jesus Christ in mind. He will. God is the one that will even let the Antichrist unite those nations and heal the wound of Babel. He will do that so the cup of iniquity will be filled to the last drop. And then Christ will return. And Christ will return and he will have the victory. Revelation 19 verse 20 says the following will happen. Revelation 19 verse 20 says the beast was taken. That's the Antichrist. The beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire. What we see there is the only true and lasting unity is really in Jesus Christ. And we believers are, are part of that kingdom because God has brought us in in his grace. We'll enjoy that unity with God's people from all nations forever in Christ's kingdom. Christ died to save his people from all their sins at Calvary. He arose, he ascended into heaven, and he poured out his Holy Spirit. And men went forward, preachers of the gospel went forward and brought the gospel to the Gentiles. And that gospel continues to be spread today. And people gathered into the church, including us. So that we, as well as God's people around the world, have been brought to believe in him, believe in one Lord together. Seek not the glory of man, but seek the glory of one God together. And in this kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, of which we believers are a part in this kingdom, Really, really the difference of tongues falls away. We all speak one language in a sense, language of praise to the Lord. And that kingdom of Jesus of which we are a part, it will last forever. It will. All the other kingdoms fail. All the other kingdoms fall. At the end, even the anti-Christian kingdom will have confusion and destruction brought to it. But Christ will gather his people from every nation, tribe, and tongue and bring us to the new heavens and new earth. And there in that new heavens and new earth, think of that day, we will all, God's people from every nation, we will all praise him with one tongue, together, united perfectly for all eternity. That's our future. That's what the word teaches. And that's why we have really nothing to fear, be comforted, be comforted to today and praise God when you think upon our Savior Jesus Christ and the kingdom of which we are a part, an everlasting kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we stand amazed at what we have been given, what we have been made a part of, the kingdom of Jesus Christ and the victory this kingdom has the unity we have, true unity in seeking Thee. Lord, we long for that day of perfection when we all live and with one tongue praise Thy name for all eternity perfectly. What a day that will be. May Christ Jesus come quickly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.